Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. All right. How can we live our life in our culture truly allowing God to be in the driver's seat? That's a good question because I do feel like I try to allow God to take the lead. But you know what? Just looking around and you know, all the media and everything is saturated, mm-hmm. our culture has a very strong pull. And you um, don't even realize it. No, yeah. the influence, and all of a sudden you're like, I don't, under, I don't, I didn't even realize that the culture is now affecting mm-hmm. my worldview or the way I see things. So I think it is a challenge to constantly go, okay, God, take the lead here amidst all of this that I'm living. Absolutely. Well, before we get too far in the show, because we could keep going on that topic, because yes. we might love, and we will, and we will. <laughs> um, but before we get too far into our show, we want to remind you: you're listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're going to have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at girlfriendit.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Well, okay, Patty, I you know that I'm excited about our first Very guest. Very excited. Yes, um, you are. Sue Ann Cordell, and I met. I first met Sue like a, a couple years ago at a conference that we were attending and I knew then it's like okay this woman leads at a high capacity level she has there's a story and I want to I want to know more you know there's just some people you meet and you go okay I want to know more about them and mm-hmm. so she was one and we didn't really get a chance to connect much and then this past February we got a chance we were at a conference again and we just said okay we need to talk and so we went outside grabbed some, you know, coffee, sat there for a couple hours. And it was one of those ones, the more she talked, it was like very fascinating as you're peeling back the layers going, okay, and you did what? And what does that mean? Well, don't you love that when you meet someone that you're like, can I just spend the night and we can just like talk through the night and just, I want to know every single thing about you and your interesting life. Well, and she's one of those women that's a very high capacity leader has been, you know, talking about culture to been in media, which totally affects our culture. And we're going to hear more of that story as we go on. But I knew then that it's like, okay, you have to come on our radio show. You have to meet Patty. You have to meet our listeners. So Sue Ann Cordell definitely has God in the driver's seat and is having the ride of her life. She is an author, speaker, pastor's wife, mom, and Nana. And Sue Ann is the founder and owner of Shine Worthy Lifestyles and Shine Worthy Tea. And I can't wait to have us talk about that pursuing a passion. There's so many things we can talk about here. Sue Ann's corporate experience began in the banking industry where she worked for 13 years. Upon moving to Nashville, Tennessee in 1991, which you know is one of my favorite cities, I have to say, she decided to change career paths and began working in the entertainment industry. She climbed the corporate ladder very quickly and for many years worked as an executive for one of the largest entertainment companies in the world. After experiencing so many amazing opportunities in show business, she decided to follow her dream opening a a premium loose leaf tea company. So in July of 2014, she walked away from a fabulous job to begin yet another fabulous adventure. And this adventure is called Shine Worthy Tea. So Sue Ann, we want to welcome you to Girlfriend It. Thank you 
so much. I really appreciate the invitation, and I'm so excited to share with your listeners today. Well, you know, I was I, I came back telling Patty about you and just all your experience and, you know, some of our conversation, which was just so intriguing. So I can't wait for our listeners to, you know, eavesdrop on our on our private conversation here and, <laughs> and, and learn more. But, um, you know, you are in, I mean, a high level leading in, um, you know, with this entertainment industry. And, you know, you met some of the top stars and culture setting people um, really in the world. And so I've been exposed to that and led and yet. You are a strong believer who lets God take the driver's seat. So talk to us. Let's talk a little bit about how do we live in our, you know, our culture-saturated um, society where it's, you know, the, the values are very different than the values, like, of the teachings of Jesus. How did you navigate through that and still be able to climb that? Because a lot of people go, you can't be a strong Christian and be at a high level of leadership in our, in our society. Can you just kind of address that? Sure, I'll be happy to. So first of all, a lot of people do say you cannot be a strong Christian and lead in corporate America. You just can't do both. But I believe that if you allow God to use you and you truly have God confidence in everything you do, he makes it a lot easier for you. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have struggles. You're not going to have people that ridicule you. But being comfortable in your own skin and really standing for what you believe in with softness, by working hard, taking advantage of opportunities that come along, but doing it with such integrity gives people um, a different aspect of who you are. And even if they know you're a Christian, they start looking at you as well. This is a Christian that's not afraid to just be who she is and be comfortable in her own skin and not afraid of what people are going to think of her, and she's not preachy. She's accepting of us, and we can be accepting of her. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's one of the things I remember in our conversation. You were saying how, you know, it wasn't about all the words that you say, and a lot of times I think we we think that Mm -hmm. it's it's our words. We have to be talking it all the time. But really our lives speak for themselves and we don't have to, you know, the words sometimes get in the way, but it's just living your life with integrity and with things that are, that like you said, and and with confidence going, this is who I am. This is who God created me. And he's put me here for such a time as this and believe in that kind of calling, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So your job is not just your job, but it's, it's a calling. And I know, you, you know, you had some examples of that, and I don't know if you, you know, feel comfortable sharing just, you know, some instances where you really had to just be true to yourself and the challenges of even being a, a queer woman. I hate to even say that sometimes, but there is those, those challenges over the years and just standing firm in a oh, culture, absolutely. like you said, so different. Can you, can you, can you kind of share in any examples that you have? Sure. Well, I'll start back in the early, um, early part of my career. I don't know if you have ever seen the movie Anchorman with Will Ferrell. Yes. But in that movie, it's, it's all about sexual harassment and how the men in the workforce would flirt with the women and they would get away with a lot of things. Well, I actually lived that because there was no protection for women in the workforce at that time. Mm. Sexual harassment was, was just common for women in the workforce. So I had to learn very early on to send the right message and to handle myself in a way that would send the message that I am not that girl. And I was able to do that and 
still receive respect along the way. But it was so funny when I saw that movie. I went with several people, and they're all just laughing hilariously, and I'm sitting there reliving in my mind what I had to go through. But mm-hmm. I think that helped me be a stronger woman in the workforce early on. Mm-hmm. When I was working in the entertainment industry, again, it is very much a man's world. And a lot of the things that I experienced early on in my career, I, again, was experiencing in different settings. Um, the language is uh, a lot different. If you think about a rated, an R-rated movie, the people behind the scenes of those movies are talking like that on a day-to-day basis. Luckily, I never used any of that language. I, I joke about it a lot. I say one of these days when I'm in the nursing home and I'm sitting in a wheelchair over in the corner, everything I've heard through the years is just going to come out of my mouth. And people yes. are going to say, who is this woman? <laughs> and they'll whisper, uh, she was a senior pastor's wife. I don't know where this is coming from. But you learn to just be around that environment but still be true to who you are. And if you conform to that, and try to be like them, they don't appreciate that. They want Christians to be Christians. And we, if you lead by example, they will want to follow. Hmm. So that's one example, but that's from way back and then one that's more recent. But um, another thing is, in the industry that I was in, alcohol was free-flowing. Um, other um, substances were free-flowing. And the lifestyles that people had did not line up with my lifestyle, but I had to travel with those people. And um, I still was able to be who I was and go into those settings and not be shunned and not be ostracized. They accepted me and respected me because I did go in treating everyone with dignity and respect, even if they didn't do the same to me always in in my work life. Well, I think that's so essential, what you just said, of just treating others with dignity and respect. And it goes back to that saying of people won't necessarily remember what you said or what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And I think as Christians, so many times we think, um, because when I worked in the corporate world, I worked in the airline industry, and the same thing where you just have so much, like you said, the alcohol is flowing, the, the words are a little different than what we're familiar with. And as Christians, sometimes you think, oh, I have to take a stance so they'll they'll know I'm different, you know, rather than they'll know we are Christians by our love. And so many exactly. times you don't need the words. You don't need to take a stance in verbally. You just aren't a part of some of the actions that they're taking. And that's where I would see um, the difference. When you'd see someone right. coming up very self-righteous, it's because they had to tell everyone that mm-hmm. you're doing it wrong, mm-hmm. basically, well, rather than just absolutely. living life. And the other thing along with that is we are all in the same boat. I'm no better than anyone else. We all have the same God who loves us all. And... So I'm very honored and privileged to be wherever I am because God places me there. That doesn't mean that I'm better than anyone and they're not better than me. We're all in this world together. And each day as I go to work, I want to do something that's going to influence the world like never before and impact the world like never before. And the way to do that, just like you just said, love everyone, love God, love others. And it's noticed. 
And when you're busy loving God and you're busy loving others, there's no time for all the, what I like to say, minutia of the criticism that goes on in so many people's lives. And people notice that. And, you know, as Christian women, when we're out in the workforce, just working hard will get noticed. Just having a great attitude and not having a critical spirit is huge. Just okay, huge. and on that note, Suzanne, we're going to have to go take a break. I love the positive, <laughs> you know, and, and denouncing a critical spirit. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. Homeschooling? Half questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we are back with our special guest, Sue Ann Cordell. And Sue Ann's passion is to train and equip men and women to take a positive approach to life. She wants everyone to live the life out of every day and to follow their God-sized dreams. And Sue Ann, you just finished this last segment just talking about 
um, really doing something that's going to change the world and to move forward without having that, that critical spirit. And I think that's so hard so many times. And as we get older, um, we do, I'm not getting older. We're not getting older. No, but <laughs> you, you do have to fight that critical spirit and keep surrendering that at least now, now I'm having a little therapy session apparently, but keep surrendering that over, um, to the Lord to, as we do, you know, judge judge what people are doing, judge things that are taking place in, in our world. And how have you seen media um, change over the last decade and how is it affecting our culture? Because I know that's where my judging comes in as I look at the millennials that are, are coming into the, the workplace and you have a tendency to, to go, oh, they, they have this sense of entitlement. They um, you know, they're, they're lazy. They're this. It's like, is that a part of what media has done or what are, what are your feelings on that? Well, it really, I do know that media affects every part of our lives. They really control everything that we do, how you dress, how you think, where you eat, what you do for recreation. It all stems from media. Because everyone wants to be like the person that they see on the screen or that they, uh, their favorite a musician, they want to do whatever their favorite musician is doing. So media really does control all aspects of life. I think it's so important in media for, for Christians to be there and to work hard to um, be in those leadership roles because we can impact the world like never before. I know your question is, how do we stay positive as we see the millennials coming in and the culture changing? God is in control. And as long as we can remember that he is ultimately in control of everything, and our job is to just love people where they are and not try to change them, not try to be the judge over them, but just be there for them and be consistent in everything we do and the way we treat everyone, eventually we start seeing those people through God's eyes instead of our own. And I really think that helps us with our critical spirit. You know, my father passed away when I was 21 years old, and it devastated me. But all through my life, my dad always said to me when he was alive, Suanne, you never know how long you're going to live on this earth. But as long as you're here, don't be miserable doing it. And I thought my dad would be here for all of my life, mm. basically. And um, when he died at such a young age, it changed my outlook. So when I look at the young millennials, I try to look at them from the eyes of um, someone who has been where they are, who was probably entitled at that time, too but I forgot how I, my attitude was and try to just put my head on their shoulders and think like they would think. There are other cultural changes that have taken place through media. Homosexual lifestyle is just very prevalent all throughout uh, media. And um, that's not the only thing, but that's one of the major things that we focus on in, in the media that we have right now. But there are other things, too, you know, sexually immoral lifestyles, not just homosexuality, but living outside of marriage, having sex outside of marriage. Those things, when you live a lifestyle like that, 
You're not getting the blessings that God wants for you. So if we can love them through those situations and not condemn them through those situations, we have a better opportunity of impacting the world like never before. Well, and you know what? I think, you know, just on so many levels, you just see, you know, like it it is a chance. Like I think you have to look at the hope and go, we can change the world like never before, even like amidst ISIS, not just media, but just, you know, you just see evil um, around the world and and in the darkness and you just go, wow, is, is, is this going to be our future? And it's like, can we change, can we change trends? Can we change future? Can we change the hatred? Um, And I, I think you have to believe there is hope because once you lose hope, you've lost it all. Mm -hmm. And, um, and just go, yeah. And I think it's just, I still believe that a small group of people can change the world. Um, can change the hatred can rewrite the story and it's just everybody, you know, doing their part. And, and, you know, it's just a small group can influence it's It's like, you know, as we know, we were having conversations. It's like a small group in the media field has totally affected Mm -hmm. the world. It's just a few people that are passionate about it and getting their message out. And so it's like, on the other hand, a, a few, you know, a small group of people can change in other ways, change mm-hmm. the hatred and the violence that we're, that we're seeing around. And so it does take people just being passionate about that. So speaking of passion, um, you have discovered a new passion. We want to take the last few minutes here. Um, you totally left this, you know, career that was thriving and that is, you know, so many people would envy on so many levels and you walked away from it. And kind of reinvented yourself. And I think we all come through times in life where you go, okay, I need to reinvent myself. I need to, what's my next thing? And you discover a new passion. And a lot of people stop right there going, I couldn't do it. And they have that negative self-talk. But you have actually, um, you started on this journey with this passion of shine-worthy tea and loose-leaf tea. And um, though I don't understand tea, I know that, you know, you, you, you became a student of tea, which I didn't even know that industry was out there. And then... Now you've opened up this tea shop, this community place in Nashville. And so you, you close one chapter and open another one. Can you just talk about that? Because I think a lot of, there's a lot of people standing at that, at that door going, okay, I want to shut one and I want to open another. What do I, can I do it? Right. Well, it's not easy. Um, we can dream big God-sized dreams and we can, you can visualize it in your head all day long. But to actually take the step and do it can be very frightening for you. I actually started studying tea about 10 and a half years ago, and it's a lifestyle. There's just so many great aspects to it. And what I wanted to do is, in my final career, I wanted to do something that would leave a legacy for my family and show women out there that they can be business leaders, and they can really, like we were talking about earlier, impact the world like never before. And the tea industry is taking the world by storm. In every country, with the exception of the U.S., tea is the number one drink besides water. And in the U.S., the number one drink is coffee besides water. And a lot of the younger generation here in this country is catching on to this trend, and they're recognizing the health benefits, the lifestyle that it leads you to, the focus that it gives you when you're studying, and... It's just so fun to watch people discover a drink that's been around since 2700 B.C. and be discovered as something brand new here in this country. So the teas that I have are hand-picked and hand-processed teas from all around the world from small estates. And when we get them here, we 
hand package them. We serve it, serve the drinks hot or cold, and then we also have an online store that we sell tea uh, loose leaf at, along with all of the accessories and books and educational tools that you would need for this fabulous drink called tea. Well, and I know you said like, the whole community thing, and you've created like a community place where people are meeting and discovering it, and there's like this art to it. Like even with coffee, you meet baristas that, you know, they can sniff a coffee blend, with, you know, which is so intriguing to me. It's like you, you've become quite the connoisseur of that. Um, but let's address, I mean, this whole thing of tea, and you have shine-worthy tea, and I know, can you explain how people can find out more? Because you can order this. What great gifts, though, but it just, but I, what I love about stuff like this is you can create experience around it. So you can invite Absolutely. someone to have conversation. It's a conversation, you know, enhances that, and dialogue, and even, you know, conversations for changing the world together, mm -hmm. I think. You know, yeah, over, a, over a cup of tea, who knew, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, it's funny because because of my history and working in the industry of entertainment, um, one of the things that we have in our store, and we are hoping to open stores in other locations in the future, but one of the things that is an eye catcher when you come in, we have a fabulous bar. And I love to tell people the reputation at Shineworthy Tea is you can sit at our bar and you can drink for hours. We will never cut you off. And we never will have to call a cab to come and get you. And we have people, men and women, that literally hang out at our bar every day and all night until we close at 9 o'clock. And friendships are formed. Just this past week, we had three women that came in from different walks of life. They came together over a tea tasting class here at Shineworthy Tea. And then they were back again this week and spent four and a half hours just hanging out together. We have men, businessmen that come in. We have young musicians that come in, and they're hanging out at the tea bar, and they're making new friends, and they're feeling accepted. And I am having a blast with that, just loving it. So you can get the same experience when you, you know, by ordering Steinworthy tea. I love to say there's tea, then there's good tea, but then there's Steinworthy tea. And once you've tasted Steinworthy tea, it's really hard to go back and have anything else. Uh, so what we would like to do uh, for anyone that's listening is offer two free tea samples and 30% off their first online order or any order throughout the whole month of May. And all they have to do is use the code GIRLFRIEND um, when they check out online and they'll receive the discount and the samples. And you can go to shineworthytea.com, and that's our website. Awesome. And if you're ever in Nashville, please stop by Shineworthy Tea. We would love to see you. Well, Joanne, we have got to take a break. And you know what? Thank you so much for joining and sharing just your heart, your journey, and um, been inspired to just you know, stay who you are and be confident in who you are, no matter where you are leading or you're influencing. And also just, um, you know, just loving God and loving others and, you know, being so busy yeah. doing that, that you, you're not, you know, wrapped up into all the other, you know, things that go on in life, you know, the, the hatred, the critical spirit, the judgmentals, like that's not the person you want to be. And so, mm -hmm. you know, just hearing this, who do you want to be and how do you want to be known? Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's, 
Just great reminders. So thank you for joining our show. We want to encourage our listeners to go to shineworthytea.com and we'll be right back with our next guest. Thank you so much. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90-plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a -a one-of-a-kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Tokenet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. LinkedIn. It's a great tool and a great way to do business in today's social media-driven world. And Carol McManus is the LinkedIn Lady with the LinkedIn Lady Show. Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern on allbusinessradionetwork.com. The LinkedIn Lady Show is designed to inform, inspire, and educate businesses. Every social media site has a specific demographic, personality, and purpose. And the LinkedIn Lady will interview a variety of guests, such as business owners who can showcase their business and talk about how they use social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google+, Pinterest, and of course, LinkedIn. For more on Carol and the show, check out her website, LinkedInLady.com. As trends change and new applications become available, the LinkedIn Lady Show will bring that information to you in an easy-to-use, fun, and engaging way. Every Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern, it's the LinkedIn Lady Show with Carol McManus on AllBusinessRadioNetwork.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, our next guest, Christy Cambron, fancies life as a vintage-inspired storyteller. Her historical novel, The Butterfly and the Violin, was named to Library Journal Reviews as the best books of 2014, Family Fiction's top 10 novels of 2014, and received nominations for RT Reviewers' Choice Awards, Best Inspirational Novel of 2014, and the list just goes on. But she lives in Indiana with her husband and three football-loving sons, where she can probably be bribed with a coconut mocha latte and a good Christian fiction read. Christy, we love that you are so talking our lingo when you can be and bribed. drinking our, our <laughs> beverage. Yes, if you can be bribed by you know, I'm I'm actually known as the coconut mocha girl around not just the fiction industry, but also in corporate America. Everyone knew I was all about my coconut mochas, so I'm I'm glad to know I'm amongst friends. <laughs> Well, it's really good when you can get that out there because people don't have to think, what should I get her? Yes. When I... <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> when you wear that sign every day on your t-shirt and you have a billboard out, it really helps with your gifts. You know? <laughs> it does. You know, it's a very subtle way of saying I would like Starbucks <laughs> gift card for Christmas. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, Christy, I was laughing because I, I threw a tweet out there last night saying how I, I went to the library and I, I was just telling Lisa, I went to the library to get all your books and they were, you know, gone. And I was like, oh, rude. You're not supposed to, it, it's, I rarely go to the library. So when you're I do You're not supposed go, to check out an author's book. You're supposed to purchase an author's <laughs> so book. I, I said to Lisa, okay, I sounded so cheap that I was on Twitter going, I went to the library to <laughs> get your book. Rather than saying I went to the bookstore to buy your book, so um, I just are you apologizing? I am apologizing, but I was with my daughters, and I'm trying to get them to go to the library, and that's my my whole purpose. Nice cover, nice cover. (laughs) But I love. You know, is your is your daughter listening right now? I kind of hope so because I was actually going to get this compliment you for going to the library. I'm a big (laughs) supporter of libraries. That's where I first fell in love with storytelling when I was a kid. My mom took us every week, both me and my sister. And my sister was the big reader in the family. She read all the fiction books, and she's now a teacher uh, working in Europe. And I went to the art section, so I would spend a lot of time in the libraries reading art history books and reading Disney animation books. And so that's where my love of storytelling first came from. But I love to encourage folks, go to your local library because you can discover some great books and some great new authors that maybe you haven't heard of before. So I was going to say more power to you. Don't call them rude, though. They might not let you come back. I know. know. Well, it's (laughs) That is a huge childhood experience for me, too. There's six of us, and my mom would, all six of us, we'd go, and we would disperse in the library. And now I see she kind of used that as a, as a babysitter, so it was really smart on her part. But all six of us love to read, and I really do think that has a lot to do with it. It's like you said, it's, it's like Disneyland. You go there, and it's, you know... I, Lisa teases me because I love the smell of the library. I will put my nose into the papers and just sniff the library books or just any new book. And, and I'm getting a, a coconut mocha while she's doing that. So. <laughs> oh, it's fabulous. Well, all right. So I'm going to let you all down right now. I'm actually drinking water. I'm trying to be a little healthier. And I'm writing a book right now. When I go into book writing mode, I'm usually caffeinated 24-7. So I figured I need to flush some of that out of my system. So I'm drinking water today. <laughs> that is funny. I'm well, actually drinking water as well. So so I'm with you. And we love caffeinated guests. It makes it, it, makes it really easy. So good. <laughs> all right. Well, we, um, of course, are talking all about libraries and copies. And yet our guests are dying. They're dying to hear more about you. And I um, have been sharing so much with Lisa just about your book and your passion. I want to go back to when you were in college, what set you off to even start writing? Because I, I'm fascinated by what took place in the concentration camps and exactly what you said were, how were believers able to just truly just pour into their faith and, and keep their faith in such a time of just horrific humanity. So share a little bit about what even got you started in, in writing the way that you write. Oh, I'd love to share that. And this actually goes back to something I just mentioned a moment ago, that when I was a kid, I really wanted to be a Disney animator. But I realized very quickly that when I got to college and started attending some of my, my studio art classes, I realized that my giftings 
really were not in my hands. You know, I couldn't draw much beyond stick figures, and, and that really wasn't going to be much of a career for me. So I had to kind of pivot and think, well, well, what has God built into me, this love for visual storytelling, but how can I use that? And so in early 2004, I was a, a young college student at Indiana University, and I came into my first art history class, and I, I realized, okay, this is home to me. It was almost as if God just kind of whispered to me, you're, you're where you're supposed to be, you're home. And I came into a modern art class, and I remember that moment, the professor, if you can kind of picture this with me, the professor in this large classroom, she dims the lights, and she begins projecting art images up on the wall for all of the students in the classroom. And, and at first, we thought some of these images, which were, were beautiful, some of them were landscapes, some of them had butterflies, their watercolors, very lovely images. And then I use this word because it's the word that came to mind at the time. Then there were some images that were more menacing in nature. So there were guards with guns and dogs and watchtowers, and there were work lines, and, and you could very clearly see that some images of individuals wearing the striped pajamas or some, some outfits that really had no business being in a piece of art. And so we're looking at the art, and we thought at the time it was a modern commentary on what happened during the Holocaust. And then our professor really shocked us, and she said, no, this is art that was created within the concentration camps. This is prisoner camp art. And, I, again, it was almost another whisper to my soul that this topic was really special, that, that art of creation and, and really worshiping God with our gifts, even in the, the midst of the most horrific circumstances we could imagine, it was this stunning expression of beauty. I, I still don't fully understand it, and, and that's really the inspiration behind the books. I wanted to try to understand that. It's a pretty weighty subject, right? Uh, but I wanted to try to give a voice to these artists because many of them are unknown. In the first book in the series, The Butterfly and the Violin, I really tried to focus on a lot of those artists within Auschwitz who were adults and are really unknown to history. In the second book, A Sparrow in Terrorism, wanted to focus on an, an aspect of the Holocaust that is a little lesser known, um, but, but no less impactful, and that's um, the story of Terrorism and the children's art. And a lot of those artists, we do know their names. Not all, but more artists of the children of Terrorism, we know their names. So it's almost as if in 2004, I had that idea, I stored it away. I had no idea then that I was going to go into Christian fiction, but I didn't know what to do with it. And then 10 years later, it turned into this book series. Wow. Well, you're having a, a crazy impact. I know even on me, I, I went yesterday after I was reading everything about you and you had mentioned the book, I Never Saw Another Butterfly, the children's drawings and poems from, from Terrazin. And I went and ordered it on Amazon. You could get... You um, have redeemed yourself. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted that for my, my 13-year-old loves poems. And I thought that's just a neat book for her to have to... You know, she's she's in eighth grade now, so you're able to kind of understand what really took place to for them to go back into history. I thought, what a great way to to just teach them just through the art and through the poems of what some of these kids went through. Um, so go back and and tell us a little bit about your your series here and. Um, I know just in reading even the children, you talk about how many. Um, I, I want to say 15,000, and there was only 100 that survived in some of these concentration camps. Is that, is that a true statistic there? 
that is correct. And and you mentioned the book. I never saw another butterfly. I'm so happy that you mentioned that because it is literally on my desk right now under my hand. I was holding that book because it's it's really the inspiration for the story and for Sophie's story in this book. And and yes, that is true. Of the some fifteen thousand children under the age of fourteen who were sent to Terzin between the years of nineteen forty two and forty four, fewer than one hundred ultimately survived the war. So it's it's that statistic, right, that just kind of grabs you right at the beginning. And and I can tell you that for the first book in the series, doing all of the research on the women's orchestra of Auschwitz and, and what those artists had to experience, literally playing people to the gas chambers, playing people to their deaths, that was weighty enough. I mean, there were so many times that I had to just put that research away and, and focus on the contemporary side of the story or just get away from it completely. But with the second book, I had to do that much more intentionally. So I I really had to split the book up into three sections, and one was the contemporary storyline. The next was historical, but it was focusing on the London Blitz. And then the last portion of the book where it really gets deep into what happened at Terrazin and what these children experienced, I had to really be intentional about my time and how I was going to step away from that because it was so difficult to really immerse yourself in the research and learn that there was this artist community that thrived there. They had lectures. They actually had, since we're talking about libraries, they had a 10,000-volume Hebrew library. They had a lending library in this camp, and yet children and people all around them were dying from starvation and disease, and one day they would arrive, and the next day they could be sent out on a transport camp to a death camp in, in the east, and so or going from trains you know, from terrorism to a death camp. And so that's something that you just really cannot wrap your mind around. But then when it's, when it's war made upon children and innocence of humanity, it's even more difficult. And so that was something that I wanted to talk about in the book. And, and since you said your daughter is in eighth grade, um, I do recommend these books for a mature eighth grader and up. Okay, so that's something that I do like to make sure, because I've had so many parents say, well, they're starting to learn about the Holocaust in school, and when would be a good time to talk about this? It's a Christian book, so, so the series, it's very clean and from a faith-based perspective. I love that we can focus on Jesus and books that, that are maybe more Jewish-focused. Uh, but I do recommend it probably for that age because especially in the Terrorism book, there's a little bit less of a filter. And when you think of the subject matter with children, it's it's something that's really probably going to impact your preteens and your teens a little bit more because they just knocked on the door of childhood, right? They're pretty close to it. So um, so that's a little bit of history about Terrorism and, and what um, they'll find in the book. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. And one, one of the things, we're going to have to take a quick break here in just a minute. But um, when you're talking about the art, it's it's still f- being able to find and to see beauty and creativity and the human spirit that is still alive despite horrific mm-hmm. circumstances around. And that's always amazing to me that in spite of these, you know, Gut the darkness wrenching. and this. Yeah the horrificness that people can still find beauty. Um, And I think that's a challenge to all of us. And so we want to take a quick break and come back and still talk about just the hope and the beauty and the artistry of life and how we discover that. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back.
This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend it Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Tokenet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. Shh, listen, something is brewing. The beautiful business evolution is coming. The way we do business is about to change for the better, forever. This is real business at its very best. On Beautiful Business Radio, you will learn what it means to truly prosper, how to nourish yourself and your business, how to earn what you deserve and make a difference in the world. The tide is rising. The change is here. Discover a new way to live, love, and partner with yourself and your business on Philippa Rollins Presents Beautiful Business Radio where you matter and your business thrives every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we've been having all kinds of interesting conversations with Christy Cambron. She is a best-selling author and... Um, over the commercial break, we were talking all about her new book and what she's doing. So hopefully by the end of the show, we'll be able to share a little bit about how the listeners can get involved because we're all about um, interaction. But Christy, just so we can stay on task here, because Lisa and I, um, that's something that we, we don't really love doing. We take scenic, <laughs> scenic, scenic uh, you know, arms out. Yes. But your new book right now has a unique title, A Sparrow and Terrazin, that you just uh, mentioned a little bit about and going into um, just that concentration camp. Tell us a little bit more about how Terrazin was different than other concentration camps. Um, that we may be more familiar with, because that's what I found so fascinating is to think that they actually had different concentration camps set up. So tell us just the, 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 the differentiation. The, was that the right word, Lisa? Different, different, different. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, sure. We'll go with yeah. that. Yeah, you're good. Uh, okay, what was good. interesting about Terrazin, and I came across this again during my undergraduate research, was that this camp was literally dubbed Hitler's gift to the Jews. It was what was called a model ghetto or almost a paradise camp. And really, that sounds like a big contradiction, right? Because there were so many people that came through there, starvation and disease and no clean water, no food, all of those things. But what this camp was mainly used for was was a twofold um, type idea where, number one, it was used as a ruse to try to mislead the International Red Cross. So in the book where we talk about how there were window box 
boxes that were put in uh, with flowers and they had painted plaster meat in the butcher shop and they actually had a butcher shop or they would put in new sinks and, and things with no plumbing. So it looked like it was a sink, but it didn't work. You know, so they, they, in a sense, beautified the camp to try to mislead the International Red Cross and really the international press and community around the world to say, this is a model ghetto or a paradise camp. Look how well we're treating the Jews. And in all actuality, the second aspect of that, what they were using this for largely was a transport camp. So in the book, that's why you find so many elderly and and children. You find so many of them in this camp because the Nazis used it as a, a ruse to say, well, we're sending them here to this work camp location, when in actuality they were then using it just as a transport, almost like a depot stop, and then just sending them out to killing centers in the east. And so it was something that I wanted to make sure I put in the book. There, there are several aspects of terrorism. There was actually currency that was printed, and, and I talk about the money that was no use there. And, and you could go to this garrison um, town, to this fortified uh, city that used to be a prison, and they now transferred it into this concentration camp, you could go into the, the town there and you could go into the shops with this tares and money and you could buy things. But there was nothing practical. There was no food, no water, no medicine. You could go and you could buy things that had been taken from the suitcases of prisoners that came through. So you could buy an opera fur or you could buy necklace and jewelry. But what use was it there in Terrazin? And so we talk about that in the book almost as if there were jewels there for sale to no one. No one cared. You didn't need them. And so that's some of the, the imagery that we wanted to put in here, just the contradiction and how this was such a different environment than the other camps and the other ghettos. Well, what I find fascinating about this story and so many others, I was just in the Middle East a couple of weeks ago, and then I have been, um, you know, with even modern-day refugees um, over there and, like, Syrian refugees and um, just different people that uh, that are still being oppressed to this day in different um, environments. And, you know, I was talking with one woman who is a, a, who is a Christian working with, with refugees and people kind of living in occupation, and, and she said, people are living without hope. And, you know, I, we really believe God has called us over here to be hope to them. So, Address like people like in your in your writings and and in discovery like you 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 kind of focus on the art and the creativity. How have you amidst hopelessness living you know with that? How have you seen the human spirit and the difference? Like even just you know believing in God allows a human being because that's what I I. I I have a hard time wrapping my brain around that going, I don't know how I would be if I didn't feel like I had hope. Yeah. Like there was no yeah, ending yeah. to this. And I'm watching, you know, family and friends and people, you know, literally being killed. I don't know the will of the human spirit. Mm-hmm. Of course, we know with, with God and with Jesus, that makes all the difference. But how do you, have you seen that amidst that? Like people expressing through art, like that's how they, they able to survive, cope. Mm-hmm. cope. So address that, what you learned through this going into to this. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I think what what you just said is absolutely correct, that one method of expression and that worshiping God, even in the midst of those circumstances, I think you're right. It can be through art. It can be through any number of circumstances uh, that you have in life. And this is very personal to me. Both of these books are very personal. If you've uh, been on my website, christycambrin.com, you know our family's journey. On the same day that we had this awesome opportunity of, yes, we finally got a publishing contract, and we were so excited, an hour later I got a call from my dad, and he said, well, this could be bad. I may have leukemia. And so our family went on this five-month journey of, 
visiting my dad as he was having his chemo infusions, and he had a very rare, very aggressive form of chemo. And so I can't compare my experience to a concentration camp. Don't, don't want to do that. But I can tell you that was the difficult experience at the time in my life. And so much of the butterfly and the violin was edited at the local cancer center as my dad was having his chemo infusions. At the same time, he was a musician, and he was playing music for the patients there. And so even at one point right before he went into ICU, he was in the hospital, and, uh, and we knew this probably was not going to end up the way that we had hoped. And I came into his room one day, and he was playing music, and, and there were these nurses all standing around. And at first I thought, oh, no, what's wrong with Dad? But then, oh, he's playing music. He's giving a concert. And, and the doctor even came in, and he was quite startled, and he said, what's going on here? And they said, oh, no, it's fine. You know, he's just giving a concert. And he did that. So he, he expressed his love for God in the way that he knew best, which was through music. And that became really a guiding light for me with writing these books. You know, I even edited the rest of The Butterfly and the Violin in the weeks after he'd passed away. And then in A Sparrow and Terzin, it's really interesting. If you look in one of the first pages, I have the verse Joshua 1.9. And at the point after my dad passed away, I didn't have this book yet. I had no characters. I had, except for Sophie and uh, William and Sarah, I had no story. And my dad texted me Joshua 1.9 before he passed away because I was struggling and I needed to know that God would be there with me. So the scene in this book where Kaja, or Kaya as it's pronounced in Czech, when she is in the Norwich station and she's getting ready to cross over into Nazi-occupied territory, she's, she's really fear-gripped, you know, and, and she really just talks to God and she says, God, just, just be with me. I'm really scared. I need some hope. Just, just be there with me. I know it's not going to turn out the way I want to, but please don't leave me. That was a prayer that I had with God there in ICU before my dad passed away. So, again, can't compare it to the Holocaust, but I can say that was a difficult circumstance in my life where Matthew 28, 20, God was ever faithful, and God gave us hope even in those difficult circumstances, and that became the book. That became the story. Mm. Well, and you know, like you were saying, you kept, you kept repeating yourself. I'm not comparing to the Holocaust. And I think so many times it, our own personal narratives, we tend to compare. Well, it's not like that. And it's not, but each one of us, you know, it's those moments in life when you have those devastation things, something that literally rocks your world, that changes your life. And it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a marking point. And instead of comparing it with somebody else, because you'll always find somebody in better shape or worse shape and comparing sure, our sure. stories, but just going, how do I live through my story and be the best I can be and, and, and see the beauty in my own story amidst the, the hopelessness sometimes. Cause we all have those emotions of like, I don't know if I want to get up this morning. I don't know it's it, you know, with whether you got some news or just, uh, you've lost something and it's like going through those, those, all those emotions that hit you. And so I think just trying to find the beauty and being able to express yourself. And it's like, I so wish I had a voice. I wish I could play, um, an instrument, you know, I wish I could draw. And it's like, you know, I, I really envy people that can do that, that can express themselves. But I think we all have a way we can, you know, I can drink a good cup of coffee with a friend. But it's like trying to find the beauty in the midst of that and not comparing your story with other people yeah, um, is sure. a challenge. Okay, in the few minutes we have left, we know you're working on a new project. And it's very different than what you're, you, we've been talking about. Can you just um, bring our readers into, we have three minutes, um, okay. into your your current, what you're doing now, your project, and even asking for their input. Yeah, absolutely. So right now I am working on still historical novels. So for those of you who have read these books, you'll be excited to hear I'm staying in the historical space and still staying in that place of 
stories of redemption and hope from difficult circumstances, but this is about 1920s jazz age entertainers. So the first book is about John and Mabel Ringling and the early circus in America. So you can imagine I have this really eclectic cast of secondary characters from performers that were all around the world with different religions and different backgrounds and what was happening in society. And then on top of that, you have the vibrancy and the color of the circus and entertainment and Gatsby in the Jazz Age. So I'm really excited about this book that I'm writing. I'm, I'm writing it right now, and I would love for my readers to connect with me on Facebook because one of the things that I'm, I'm going to be doing this summer is pulling you into the research with me. So, in fact, on Sunday I did some research at Waverly Hills Sanitarium, which was an old TB hospital in the 1920s and 30s. I have a video there, and I just went to visit it on Sunday. Kind of scary. It's supposed to be kind of a, a scary, haunted kind of place. But I went in there, and I'm inviting the readers into these research trips that I have. And then also when I get this book turned in in July, I'm going to be spending a month just reading books. And so if you come over to my Facebook page, I'm going to ask for your recommendations, and I'm going to be reading books that my readers' friends are going to be suggesting to try to get you involved in the process as well. Okay, I have to ask you then, since you're asking for suggestions, have you read Francine Rivers? I have, yes. In fact, um, Redeeming Love is one of my top books of all time. Mm, Okay, so did you read Mark of the Lion? I have not read that one yet. Is that on my list? Is that the first book on my list? That really needs to be the first thing on your list. It's a series, right. a three-book series. Three it's series. fascinating. It's, it's amazing, and you will, you will love the, just the historical fiction of how she definitely has done her research. So amazing book. Okay, so Got I have it. to it's ask a really, uh, a really deep question. Okay, so as a reader, because Patty, like, we, we laugh about ourselves. I have to read every word on the page. So it takes me a while to get through, but, and I'm constantly reading. I only have, like, three books going at one time. But I have to read every... It takes me a while to get through them. Patty can literally just flip the pages. She, you know, does that speed reading kind of thing, which I'm so envious. I cannot do that. How do you read a book? (laughs) How do I read a book? Okay, so that would have to be in between someone um, knocking on the door. Mom, what are you doing? Mom, what are you doing? Um, Probably in the same way that I write a book in chunks. Um, The Butterfly and the Violin was written almost exclusively on my iPhone. Um, So just because I was corporate mom traveling and we had our third son and so I was up in the middle of the night giving him his bottle so I just typed things out on my phone so I do have to read kind of quickly but I I would say I read in chunks it just it's as my time allows a mom of three you don't have a whole lot of time (laughs) okay Krista thank you so much we have to leave and write highly caffeinated thank you for joining our show follow Krista on, on Facebook and go grab a cup of coffee Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show 